thankful that we serve a God who will never let us down. Who will never let us down. That doesn't mean that he'll give us everything we want, but that means that he will never let us down in doing for us the good purposes that he has purpose for us and all the things that he is doing and will do in our lives for our good and for his glory. If you have your Bibles, I trust that you do. If you can open with me to the Gospel of John chapter 6, the Gospel of John chapter 6, and welcome to our ongoing journey through this amazing, awesome Gospel a gospel where John continually calls us to believe in Jesus and keep believing in him. And over the last several weeks through John 6, we have seen Jesus feed the 5,000 with just five loaves and two fish and have 12 baskets uh, left over. We have seen Jesus walk on water using the very thing that the disciples feared as a staircase in order to come to them. And then last week, we heard Jesus declare that he... He is, or he was, and he is the bread of life. And I don't think it's insignificant that what Jesus said about himself and where he was born are similar. And what I mean by that is this. Jesus said, I am the bread of life, and Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And the word Bethlehem literally means house of bread. Bethlehem was the bread basket of the ancient world. It's where grains were grown. It's where the wheat fields were. Were. And what a significant statement that the bread of life was born in the house of bread. And Jesus gives us this bread. And this morning we are going to see a serious turning point in Jesus' ministry. In our passage today, which brings us finally to the end of just John 6, we're going to see a narrowing of Jesus' followers. So a narrowing of the crowd. Jesus' followers will transition from many, many thousands to just mere handfuls. And one in that handful will actually be Jesus' betrayer. So we're going to see a transition, and we're going to see betrayal, and we're going to see walking away this week. And this week, I read a story of a man named Charles who went from relative anonymity to great notoriety in a short amount of time. His name was unfamiliar to those living in Boston in 1920, but like a shooting star, this millionaire basically burst on the local scene. Charles made millions by encouraging others to invest their money with him, and he promised 50% interest on investments in 45 days or 100% in 90 days. And in just a few short months, people handed Charles nearly $15 million in 1920. Some mortgaged their homes, some emptied their life savings to invest their money with Charles. Well, in August of 1920, Charles Ponzi was arrested and charged with multiple counts of fraud and larceny. And since that time, the name Ponzi has become synonymous with fraudulence, with scheming, with, with fraud. Now, Charles Ponzi, he seemed like a trustworthy man. He seemed like he knew what, knew what he was doing. He seemed like he actually cared about the betterment of others, but he was a crook. He was a fraud, and he ruined many lives because of it. And I say all that to say this. Sometimes people are not what they seem. Sometimes people just aren't what they seem. Have you ever been let down by people? 
You know, if you are a person, you have been let down by people because people aren't always what they seem. And as we come to the end of John 6, we discover that it's possible to look like a disciple, act like a disciple, talk like a disciple, even smell like a disciple if they have a unique smell, and yet still not be a true disciple of Jesus. Let me just say this this morning. If you have been a Christian for any amount of time, you have likely known at least one person who has walked away from their faith. At least one person. At one point, that person may have seemed to be an enthusiastic follower of Jesus, but they did not endure in their following. And as far as you can tell, they have abandoned their faith in Christ altogether. They might still profess to be a Christian, but as far as you can tell, they're not following Jesus in anything, in any part of their lives. And it's something that I have consistently experienced throughout my time in, in ministry. You know, it's the nature of ministry to see people come, to see them stay for a little bit, and then sometimes to see them walk away, never again to follow Jesus. It's one of the most painful spiritual experiences and it's super discouraging and it's discouraging and painful not because they forsake me their pastor it's not because they forsake or just because they forsake a gathering of a body like this which is we need but ultimately it's painful and discouraging because they forsake jesus the only hope of salvation in the world the only hope of heaven and the the longer you minister, the longer I have ministered, the more I have seen God's grace in people. And I, I'm so thankful for the way God's grace moves in people's life. But also, the more have, I have also seen people walk away from God's grace. Walk away from Jesus. And now I'm so thankful that in this room, maybe those watching online are people who at one time you walked away and praise be to God, by his grace he brought you back. But for those who walk away and stay away, this same John, the John who's writing this gospel in a, another writing of his in 1 John 2, he would write these words. I want to put them on the screen for you to see. Here's what John would later say about those who desert and leave. He says this, 1 John 2, 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are not of us. So John basically says this, people left the faith and stayed away, not because they lost something, but because they never had it. They never had it. They were never part of us to begin with. So this morning, we're going to see people who left the fold, who left the path. Yet, praise God, we're also going to see those who stayed in the path, who stayed and endured. So let's dive in, and we're going to see the painful reality of desertion, while at the same time, we're going to hear the call of Jesus to abide, to abide in him, to continue to persevere and endure in him. So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read John 6, beginning at verse 60 through verse 71. And it says this, When many of his disciples heard it, they said, This is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, Do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the Son of Man ascending to where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. 
And he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by, my father, or by the Father. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go as well or away as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve, and yet one of you is a devil? He spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. Let's pray. Father, we come before you today. And as we just read and as we know in our own lives, there is... As we sang earlier, there is that constant desire in us to walk away, to leave the grace in the one that loves us, to have instead of an abandoned heart for you, a heart that's divided and fall away. And God, we just pray that today you would show us the beauty of endurance, the beauty of persevering, the beauty of understanding and seeing in you, God, but nothing else and no one else can offer to us in this world. Have your way. Speak to us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. So when we think about what we just read, let me just say this. There are some truths that we call common knowledge, things that everybody should know, truths that are very obvious, that should be very plain to all of us, like 2 plus 2 equals 5. That, that took some of you way too long. I, I saw a few go 4. So 2 plus 2 is 4. That's common knowledge. Of course, the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, or at least it appears in the eastern horizon um, in the morning and in the western horizon in the evening, which is kind of more accurate, but that's common knowledge. There are four seasons in a year. That is common knowledge. It's pretty common knowledge that the United States entered World War II after the bombing of Pearl Harbor. Harbor. So common knowledge. Uh, Most Americans know that or should know that. Or this, the state bird of Florida is? Mosquito. Yes, it is the mosquito. Yeah. No, it is the northern mockingbird. I guess maybe not everything is common knowledge. Not all of us know that. But there are things that we know, common knowledge, and there's things that we don't know that aren't so plain that aren't so obvious to us unless someone tells us someone teaches us or we have some sort of special revelation but even in the midst of special revelation from God even godly teaching we still have the opportunity to reject it we still have the opportunity to say no and there are a lot of things going on in today's passage there is offense And there is grumbling, there is disloyalty and betrayal. And at the same time, praise God, there is true belief and submission to Jesus. But there are questions that arise like, why did did the majority of Jesus' disciples leave him at this point? Why did Judas stay at this point? Why is Jesus sometimes so hard to believe um, or to, to understand and then for others so hard to even believe in him? So this moment in John 6 would have been basically a ministry-ending failure for most people. Just can you imagine the scene? Today, after this service, 90% of the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way leave and never come back. Now, that would probably be a terrible reflection on me or the church as a whole. But notice Jesus, what we just read. He doesn't panic. 
He doesn't try to talk them into staying. Like, no, no, you misheard me. Hang on just a second. You know, why does Jesus not immediately begin to worry about his approval rating? Why does he not immediately begin to rebrand his message? Hey, guys, let's make T-shirts. They misheard what we said. Um, Let's do all kinds of different things. Why does Jesus not respond in a way that shows that he needed the approval of the crowd? He simply turns to the 12 that stayed and said, don't you guys want to leave too? I mean, what a statement. Everybody left. Instead of looking at the disciples and saying, please don't go, guys. Guys, please don't leave. He goes, y'all want to go as well? Like, do you you want to leave? Now is your chance. Listen, Jesus is so submitted to the will of the Father that he doesn't take this personally. And In this situation, a normal human response would have been either to make excuses, to begin to belittle those who walk away, or try to find some incentive to keep other people to stay, but not Jesus. His security is so attached to the will of God that he understands, he knows what's happening. He knows from the beginning what God's plan is, and he's not swayed by human opinion, yours or mine. It doesn't faze him. So ultimately, from this scene, three truths kind of come to the top, at least for me, that we're going to unpack today. So three truths are so important for us in this world in which we live. Truth number one today is this. True words are hard to hear. True words are hard to hear. Let me say it from the beginning. Please hear this. Write this down. Truth is not hate speech. Truth isn't hate speech. Truth is truth. You can can walk away from it. You can ignore it. You can get mad at it. You can do whatever. But guess what? Truth is a person and he will stand forever. So regardless of what you do with truth, one day you will stand before truth. And truth isn't hate speech. Truth is truth. And truth is the most loving thing that we can tell people. But listen, look at verse 60. It says, when many of his disciples heard it. Let me begin with that word disciples. When we see the word disciples here, this is a general group of people who had been walking with Jesus. Meaning, where Jesus went, they went. When he performed miracles, they saw it. When he taught, they heard it. When he multiplied bread and fish, they ate it and they liked it and they were hungry for more of it. So much so they began to identify themselves as his followers. Now, yet hear them. In verse 60, it says, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? And that phrase, hard saying, doesn't mean hard to understand. It literally means um, offensive. They're saying it's an offensive statement. They're saying this is a statement that we don't tolerate. We can't tolerate these kinds of statements. So what Jesus is saying here is offensive to the people who are hearing him. Now look at verse 61. But Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense at this? So despite their efforts to maybe hide or conceal, Jesus knows that these quote-unquote disciples are grumbling. And there is no action, there is no thought that goes unnoticed by our all-knowing, all-seeing Savior. He knows all. He sees all. He hears all. Yet Jesus' message here, it offended them. He claimed to come down from heaven. He claimed to be the bread of life. He claimed that they had to eat his flesh and drink his blood in order to have that life. And then here we just read, he claimed that he would ascend back up to heaven. These were offensive claims. And here's what we know. Throughout, Throughout the church, there are There are truths that are easy for us to hear. God loves us. That's easy for us to hear. We have forgiveness of sins. That's easy for us to hear. We have a home in heaven. 
We have comfort in sorrow or we have hope in the storms. Those are easy things for us to hear. Like give us more of that. But there's also some very difficult things for us to hear. Things are even even become offensive. The reality of hell is offensive. Fleeing from the wrath to come is offensive. The righteous standards of a holy God is offensive. Or be holy because he is holy is offensive. Or even this, there is one way to heaven. I heard a pastor say this. If there were 48 ways to heaven, I'd preach 48 of them. But there's only one, so therefore I'll preach Jesus. There is one way, and yet that way is offensive. It's offensive in the world. So these truths are offensive. So Jesus is claiming to be from heaven. He's claiming that he will return to heaven. He's the bread of life, and it's offensive to them. And let me just say this. It's never the works of Jesus that offends people. The miracles of Jesus never offended anyone. There's this kind of patronizing of Jesus that goes on in our culture and around the world and that we, we want to say nice things about Jesus, so therefore we like the Jesus of our own imagination. So we create this Jesus who is kind of he's self-deprecating, he's self-humiliating, he's, he's poor, and he goes around helping people. So he's no threat to us. He demonstrates compassion and kindness for people, and he does these miracles. Whether you believe them or not, they're, they're good. He heals people. He casts out demons. He feeds people. He cares for the poor. He loves the poor. He blesses children. Who wouldn't want that kind of Jesus? He blesses children, feeds people. People love that kind of Jesus. That's the popular Jesus that everyone likes. Yet it's not his works that push people back. It's not his works that offend people. It's not his works that infuriate people. Hear this. It's his words. Every time Jesus did a miracle, his ratings went up, and every time he spoke, his ratings went down. Every time. Every time he did a miracle, his popularity soared, and then he started speaking, and people hated it. They loved his works. They hate his words. I read the following this week from one pastor. He said this, Do you know why the world tolerates Christmas and even loves Jesus in a manger? The world will take Jesus and put him back in the manger because he can't say anything there. Because when he grows up and makes demands and commands, he is intolerable to many people. We love Jesus in a manger because he can't say anything there. But that's not what we have. We have a Jesus who makes commands. Just think about the claims of Jesus. Think about Jesus claiming to be God, claiming to be the only way to heaven. And in a radio talk that he gave during the Second World War, C.S. Lewis said this, and you've heard these words before, but they're just as truthful as the last time you heard them. He says, people often say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. This is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with a man who claims he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell himself. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool. You can spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come away with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. They loved 
his works. They hated his words. Listen, many people follow Jesus today until they learn, oh, Jesus calls us to forgive people who have mistreated us? No, I don't want to do that. Jesus calls us to live sacrificially? Oh, Jesus actually calls us to tell other people about him? Jesus demands total surrender in my life? Oh, Jesus tells us he's the only way to the Father? Oh, Jesus tells us that hell is an eternal reality? It's real? Oh, Jesus actually taught on traditional marriage and gender and sexuality? I'm out of here i don't want that kind of jesus listen eventually a false follower of jesus will be offended by jesus and will walk away eventually now even for us i'm not going to leave us out here the question is not whether will jesus offend us what will we do when he does offend us in fact i'm pretty sure listen if jesus has never offended you you're not reading him correctly If Jesus has never offended you, you're not reading Jesus the way Jesus is meant to be read. Because Jesus will offend us because he is holy God and we are unholy people. Listen, when when Jesus offends us, what are we going to do? Are we going to write him off? Are we going to turn away? Or, Or will we submit to him even when his words are offensive to us? Because he's God and we're not. Listen, Jesus didn't come as a politician trying to get votes. He came as the Lord who commands must be obeyed. The Puritans used to say this. They said the same sun that melts ice also hardens clay. The same sun that melts ice also hardens clay. And so what they would say is this. You can have the same message, and yet it affects two different people. Even at the cross of Jesus Christ, you had one man who was in the presence of the Son of God, and his heart grew hardened. Another, his heart was melted, and he said, Remember me, O Lord. Remember me today. The same sun that melts ice also hardens clay. In the presence of Jesus' words, some hearts melt, and other hearts become more hardened. Let me just say it very clearly today. If your heart is melting right now in the words of Jesus, follow him, obey him. If not, your heart will begin to harden. And the more you hear Jesus and the more you disobey Jesus and disregard Jesus, the harder your heart will become true words are hard to hear but secondly true motives will be revealed true motives will be revealed jesus is in charge here and he's not caught off guard by what's happening look at verse 64 jesus says there are some of you who do not believe for jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him It's not that they didn't understand Jesus. It's that they they chose not to believe Jesus, not to trust Jesus. Let me say this. Salvation is not a question of intelligence. Salvation isn't, hey, you have to know this, 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 and this. You have to have this level of intelligence to be saved. No, salvation is a picture of, a question of faith. Will you believe Jesus? Will you believe him? These disciples didn't believe and Jesus knew who they were he even knew Judas the one who would betray him the hardness wasn't in the teachings of Jesus the hardness was in the hearts of those who heard him and the more they heard the more they disobeyed the more hardened their hearts became listen it's impossible to fake being a follower of Christ forever it's impossible to fake being a follower of Christ forever you can't do it so we get to verse 66 and listen to these words After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. 
Now, some preachers try to say, well, John 6, 66 says people walked away. This is the mark of the beast. Now, granted, we have to step back and go, well, hang on. God didn't put the numbers in there. Man did that a little later on, a lot later on. But this is absolutely the way of man. Walking away from Jesus is the way of man. What this crowd wanted, Jesus would not give them. And what Jesus offered, they would not receive. What they wanted, more stuff and more stuff and more stuff, Jesus wouldn't give them. And what Jesus offered himself, they didn't want. So they walked away. And those who walked away turned their backs on Jesus. They no longer followed Jesus. What a heartbreaking verse this is. Those who witnessed and celebrated the miracles of Jesus, who ate as Jesus multiplied the bread and the fish, they turned and walked with Jesus no more. They were thrill seekers, but they weren't truth seekers. They didn't want the truth. They refused to follow Jesus. Hear this, according to Jesus. They refused to follow Jesus according to Jesus. According to Jesus. They, they wanted a Jesus that they could create, that they could control. They didn't want to follow the Jesus that... Jesus declared himself to be. Again, if we're not careful, we will create this nice, comfortable Jesus that looks like us, acts like us, talks like us, that agrees with every decision we will ever make, and is okay with us only giving him part of our lives. And we make this Jesus who would never call us to anything extreme. This Jesus that we often create, he would never call us to deny ourselves, take up our crosses, and follow him. This Jesus would never say things like, I didn't come to bring peace. I came to bring division. I came to bring a sword and divide the sheep from the goats, the real from the fake. That's what I came to do. Listen, our ideas, the world's ideas, what we and what the world want Jesus to be, those ideas will kiss us right on the cheek, and then they'll betray us just like Judas. Let me say it again. Our false beliefs of Jesus will kiss us on the cheek and then they'll stab us right in the back. They'll be of no use to us because here's the reality. Here's what I want you to understand today. Any Jesus that isn't the Jesus of this book can't save you. Any Jesus that you create in your own mind and your own sinful heart cannot save you. The only, there's only one Savior of sinners in the world and his name is Jesus. And eventually, all false disciples will find some reason to stop following Jesus. They'll be offended in some way. So these turn their backs, no longer walk with him, revealing they were never his to begin with. Think about that reality. Motives will be revealed. Which leads us to truth number three. True disciples will not leave. True disciples will not leave. Look at verse 67. Jesus now turns to the 12 and says, Do you want to go away as well? I find that such a ridiculous statement. Because if it was me, I would say, Guys, please don't leave me. I need you. I'd be doing the whole, the whole Tom Cruise thing. You complete me. Now please stay here. I need you guys. Don't, don't leave me. But Jesus goes, You want to leave as well? Go ahead and go. And there are times, I love what Peter says here, there are times when Peter doesn't say awesome things. There are many times where Peter says stupid things. But here, Peter says something really, really awesome. In verse 68, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And then verse 69, and we have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. 
In other words, not that the disciples realized all that this meant, but based on what they knew, based on what they had seen, based on what they had heard from Jesus, they were committed to following him for who he claimed to be. And they said, he alone has the words of eternal life. He alone. R.C. Sproul, in his commentary on John, said this, If I want the words of eternal life, there's only one place I go to get them, to the one who gave his life that we might live. You want the words of eternal life, there's only one place to go to get them, to the the one who gave his life for you and for me. A true disciple knows that there is no safer refuge than being with Jesus. Listen, may this be our declaration in the midst of trials and heartaches and when our world is spinning out of control, may we know and declare along with Peter, Lord, where else will I go? Where else can I go? Where else can I turn? Who who possibly could offer us more hope and more joy and more peace and more life than our creator, our sustainer, our savior? Jesus may confuse us at times. He might perplex us. He might even provoke us and make us angry with his claims. Yet we look to him and we know who he is and we know that he's worthy. We know he is worthy. He has the words of eternal life. No one ever has ever spoke like him. No one has ever been so strong and mighty, so authoritative, yet so gentle, so powerful, yet so willing to be killed. No one has ever been so just, yet so willing to be treated unjustly, so worthy of honor, yet so dishonored. So deserving of immediate immediate obedience, yet so patient with our disobedience. And no one but Jesus was capable of coming down from the cross and flaming judgment on us all, yet committed himself to stay for our salvation. There is none like Jesus. There is none like him. Jesus is the Holy One. He is God, and he must be submitted to as the supreme authority of your life and my life. He must be worshipped. He must be followed. He must be loved. We have seen false discipleship, and we have seen true discipleship. And why does it matter? Let me tell you why it matters. In April of 1912, the world stood in awe as the Titanic made her maiden voyage. Now, you know how all this is going to end, but just follow with me. At 882 feet long, she was the largest ocean liner ever built up to that point. With Victorian smugness, the press proclaimed, that the impossible had been done, a ship that could not sink. The captain even boasted God himself could could not sink the Titanic. Yet some 48 hours later, on a clear April night, the Titanic, of course, grazed the side of an iceberg. It was so light that most on the ship did not even fill it. Yet it tore a 300-foot-long gash in the hole, and within three hours, this unsinkable ship went to its watery grave. When news of the tragedy reached England, frantic relatives rushed to the Liverpool office of the Titanic to discover whether their loved ones had made it, whether they had survived. And outside the office was a single wooden board. And on it were listed two columns of names. At the top of one, it just said saved. And at the top of the other, said lost. Think about this. No one was listed according to their gender, according to their status, their wealth, according to their rank or accomplishments. 
based on two simple things. Were they saved? Were they lost? One commentator commenting on this story said this, it would do us all good to stand there at the offices of the Titanic with those folks on a cool April morning in 1912, and we should realize that the SS Earth is like an ocean liner plowing through cosmic seas. She is divided into social classes, winners and losers, haves and have-nots, celebrities and nobodies. So many of us are striving to move up to a higher deck, but there's an iceberg out there. Sooner than we think, a sinkable SS Earth will collide with the end of time, and only one thing will matter on that day. Are you saved or are you lost? It's the only thing that will matter on that day. Said another way, the only thing that will matter is, are you a, are you a true disciple? Have you found in Jesus everything you have ever needed, or are you a false disciple? Have you walked away from the only Savior of sinners in the world? In the words of one scholar, G.R. Beasley Murray, he said this, to receive the words of eternal life is to belong to the fellowship of him who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that presumes, hear this, a continued walking along the way, remaining in the truth and living in communion with the Lord. So receiving the words of eternal life means you keep walking with Jesus. You keep following Jesus. So here's how I want to end our time this morning. Two simple questions before you that are the same question. Right now, in this moment, right now today, are you on the path of Jesus or have you left the path? Are you on the path of Jesus? Are you following him or have you left the path? Or to put it a different way, are you right now in this moment, is your face towards Jesus? You're looking at him with both eyes. You're following him. You see his beauty. You see his glory. You see in him everything that you will ever need and you are following him or have you begun to turn away from him? Maybe just one eye is looking at him and you have another eye somewhere else. Or is your back completely turned on him? Where you aren't following him. Maybe you're a Christian in name. Maybe you would tell everybody you're a Christian, but nothing of your life says, I follow Jesus. Everything about your life says, I follow everything everyone in this world is following. Are you in this moment following Jesus or are, have you turned your back on him? Oh, today that you would see in light of this who Jesus is. He has the words of eternal life. He is the holy God. And here's the beautiful thing. When we think about what we read last week, Jesus said this. Jesus said, if you come to me, I will not cast you off. If you come to me in faith, I will not push you away. If you come to me, I will not reject you. If you come to me in faith, I will not look at you and say, no, I don't want you. If you come to me in faith, you will be accepted. You will be received. You will be redeemed. Oh, to God, we would question today, where are we? Where are we? Are we following him? Are we on the path? Are we on his path? May today we, we be honest today. Have a time of honesty. So I'm going to ask you to stand, and we're going to ask the praise team to come forward as we enter this time of invitation and consecration. And let's pray together in this moment. Father, in this moment, this is a, a holy moment, God, that you, by your spirit, are working in our hearts and lives across this room and those watching online. And the question is, Jesus, what are we doing with you? Are we looking to you? Are we following you? Do we see in you everything that our hearts will ever desire? Because that is who you are. Or are we 
beginning to turn from you? Or have we turned from you? And if we're turning from you, the reality of what John would later say is those left and stayed gone because they were never of us. Lord, may that not be a true reality today. May any who feel the tug right now to turn away, God, may they feel that tug of you, the Holy Spirit, in grace to turn back to you, to turn, as the old hymn says, to turn their eyes upon Jesus, to look full in his wonderful face, and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Help us, God, to consider today where we stand in you. Are we following you, Jesus? Whoever comes to you, you will not cast away. Finish this time in Jesus' name. Amen.